Well, those are some incredible quotes about prayer from very godly people throughout the ages. Prayer is a subject that maybe or maybe not you care much about. But if you don't care about it, you're missing out because it's the prayer of God's people that moves God's hand to do his work. In fact, it's interesting to me because I have uh, often struggled with prayer in my own life. You would think as a pastor, it's like, well, um, you probably got it all together. I don't. And that's one of the reasons I felt led in speaking on it today, because I realized my need to strengthen it. There is uh, this quote from Charles Spurgeon, which will add to those we just saw. He says this, prayer bends the omnipotence of heaven to your desires. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Prayer moves the hand of God, and God is the one who created the world, and he can move things in your world. And so my simple question to you today has to do with this subject of prayer and moving the hand of God. Do you believe that your prayers can move the hand of God to act in your behalf as you discern God's will in your life? Or are you a feeble-minded, maybe apathetic, indifferent kind of prayer? How many of you said to somebody once they've shared with you sort of their heart and their burden, I'll pray for you? Now, how many of you said, I'll pray for you, and then you forget to pray for them. Well, I'll be honest, right? How many of you say, I'll pray for you, and maybe you, you do it once or twice, but when you pray, you think in the back of your mind, oh my goodness, they've got a big problem. Lord, help them out. And your prayer is one of, I don't know, maybe a little bit of indifference, but a desperation of like, I don't know. And then you go about your day. I am uh, very appreciative for the last couple weeks and being able to step away from uh, the routines of the responsibilities of church life. Some of you know that uh, I didn't go to Peru like uh, the Brancadas did and the, the Cardenas. I went to the Rocky Mountains. And in the Rocky Mountains, you have to spend time with God when you see that kind of beauty. And you have to acknowledge the incredible awesomeness of the creator and the power that he has. And you wonder, you know, how long has this been or where did this come from? And you are placed in an environment that draws you near to God. But in the course of our normal days, we have what? Just the whole hum, run in the mill, boredom, responsibilities. We become myopic and our focus gets here rather than out there. Not only did I have the opportunity to be in the Rocky Mountains at Deep Camp, which by the way, the Roses aren't here today. They were here last week. I was so proud of them for being here last week. How did I know? Because I watched online last week. I just want you to know that. I do watch online if I'm not here. And uh, actually the last two weeks, Pastor Zach did a great job a couple weeks ago. And uh, I, he just took off running around the whole auditorium. If you weren't here that day, that was pretty cool. And uh, seeing how God follows us. And Pastor Trey did a great job last week. Thanks, Pastor Trey. And just um, God's heart of 
uh, a person uh, following David and not Saul. But um, the week last week, uh, I was mindful that uh, I was coming off a lot of uh, uh, intensity in my own life of spiritual experience. And um, part of that came from the deep camp that we attended, which had a lot of, uh, I don't know, it, it connected with my past because the guy who led it was my youth pastor 40 years ago. And he has a really vibrant ministry, and there was a lot of young people there, young adults. We worship morning and night, and we worship God in the afternoon out in fun uh, Rocky Mountain area and interacting. And I was a part of the ministry. I sit on the board called Forge, uh, which is the ministry's name. And I had this enriching experience last week in the Rocky Mountains. And then the next week, uh, this past week, uh, went back to where I'm from, and I'm originally from the Midwest. Somebody said this morning, I can tell you back from the Midwest because you got a little bit of that accent going with you. I'm like, what's that? I'm not from, well, if you're not from the Midwest, I'm not from Kentucky. Like, that's where my wife's close to Kentucky. She's probably watching online. She's still back there today. But I am uh, maybe picking up a little bit of that tone, but I went back to the Midwest, to Indiana. I grew up on a large grain farm and uh, lay, stayed in the farmhouse that I grew up in. And I was able to spend time with God there as well as in the Rocky Mountains. And you step back from all the rigors and the routines of life. And you have to question in your own life, where am I at today versus where I had hoped I would be in my earlier years? Whether it's when I was sitting underneath the youth pastor that I was able to sit underneath the ministry of again in the Rocky Mountains or whether I was back in my uh, hometown kind of area being able to just reflect. Have I seen God work and God's hand move in my life and what I would hope he'd do through my life in this world? Or has it fallen short? And has it fallen short because of me or because maybe I had misread God in some of the directions he had in his life, in, in my life? Moving the hand of God has always been a passionate desire of mine, not for the sake of fulfilling self-interest, but because I wanted to see God work in my world, in my world at large and in my world, in the immediate world around me. Because you see, we often live in what's referred to sometimes as a world without windows. We think all that's going on is what we see, what we interact. But the real world is also the supernatural world as well as the natural world. And you and I stand in between those two worlds. And the God of the universe who created the universe, we will meet someday. And his son, Jesus Christ, we will stand before him someday. And we will then go, oh my goodness. All that this world entailed was just not the natural, but the supernatural. And the worlds come colliding together through prayer. The picture you have behind you is not some stock photography. I took that picture last week. I took that picture right outside the farmhouse that I grew up in. And what you see is the turning from the lane, one of the three lanes that go into the whole farm operation complex, turning from the lane down a country road this direction. And I know it's sort of hard to see in one sense, but that country road 
is where I encountered God my whole life growing up. From the moment I was trying to think maybe when, when was it that I first had my prayer walk, as I refer to them, down the country road outside of the house that I grew up in. And it was probably somewhere around the age of 10. 10 or 11, that's like 50 years ago. 50 years ago. 50 years ago, I was walking down that road by the fields, praying to God and seeing beautiful Midwest sunsets and thinking of His awesomeness. And I had prayers and I had aspirations for my life. Have those aspirations come true? I desire to pray for other people. I'd pray for many people down that walk, that road walk and come back. Have those prayers been answered? Have things changed? And when I get out in nature, as many of you do as well, and you see God's beauty and you all have your spots as well as I have my spots, and the Rocky Mountains were another one that I cultivated this last couple weeks, the awesomeness of God and that supernatural, that transcendent world starts to, to grab a hold of you and you start to say, Lord, I want you to act in the things that I see that I believe you would be glorified in. But then I have to ask myself some different kinds of questions. And I want to ask you these questions today concerning your prayer life. Because your prayer life can be thriving, it can be dormant, it can be a struggle. All of us would admit to different seasons in our own prayer life. But there's four questions that come to my mind when I start to think about prayer life and the aspect of, uh, of where I'm at with believing, can I see the hand of God move? When people say, hey, will you pray for me? Or when I say, hey, I'll take that initiative to pray for that, or I'd like to see this happen. What goes on inside my mind, my psyche? There's four questions that come to me, and the first is this, and I present it to you. Do you believe God hears? Do you believe God hears? Did you pray this morning? Did God hear your prayer? How do you know? God's got a lot of important things to do. Do you think he really cares about you? You see, that's the second question. Not only do you believe, do you believe that God hears, but do you believe he cares? I'm one of these people, and, and um, my wife says I get overly uh, paranoid with it sometimes. I don't like to bother people. I don't like to bug people. I don't like to intrude in their life. That kind of hey, whatever they're doing, they're doing. And sometimes I impose that idea on the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. God, I excuse me. I I hate to barge in or bug you a little bit, but uh, I've got a prayer request. I got a prayer request. Now I want you to know that today, as we talk on prayer, I understand that ha prayer has a breadth of dynamics to it. But I want to focus in on this aspect of prayer, moving the hand of God, which has to do with our petitions, our supplication, our ask, our request. Do they make any difference? And so for me, going before God, I'm like, um, hey, God, are you there? Um, do you hear me? 
you really care? And it's usually not a care like uh, he doesn't really care. It's just like he's busy or he's got a lot of response. He's got bigger things in my life, right? And so I cower into this disposition of prayer, sometimes that's soft, that's weak. Oh, Lord, hey, you hear me? Um, I, I got a concern. At no time should we end up falling into um, a passive state of prayer because of that. God does hear. God does care. But then sometimes I ask this question. Um, I'll ask it to you. Do you believe God is able? Well, that sounds like a, a really poor question, doesn't it? Like, of course he's able. He's God. He created everything. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, right? Well, you know, some people, and maybe you found yourself there, maybe you are this morning, they believe that God is limited in his ability of what he can do. God is limited in his ability of what he can do. And even if we believe in God's omnipotence and he's powerful to act on your behalf, to act in your friend's life, whether it's being able to correct an, an, an errant child that's going down a, a difficult path or a friend that's making poor choices, or maybe it's a health condition in your own life, or maybe there's a financial need, or maybe you have this burden to do something big for God, but you're, you're not quite sure if that's really what he wants you to do. Whatever the prayers are in your life, this question's a good question. Do you believe God is able to work, not because he's not big enough as God, but that he hears and he cares in your life to act? And so we cower ourselves away going, well, yeah, he's able to act on other people's behalf. I don't know if he really wants to or is able to act on my behalf. So do you believe God hears? Do you believe God cares? Do you believe God is able? And then a fourth question that comes to me is this. Do you believe, do you really need God to act? You know, there's a sense of uh, independence that we carry in life. I got it. I'll take care of it. I'm good. You been there? Done that? I don't need to bog God or other people. I got this. I'm good enough then. And sometimes we really don't think we need God to act because we're self-sufficient. I find myself in this category often because I'm a doer. I want to make things happen. I want to get things done. And so sometimes my prayer life is put aside because I need to take responsibility here first. And if I really get to a difficult place, then, then I'm going to ask God, right? Do I really need God to act? And to be honest with you, this was one of those uh, seasons, the last couple weeks, where this fourth question um, was brought before me um, quite strongly. You see, I have a lot of aspirations in the kingdom of God. Some of these aspirations for doing God's work and seeing things happen, whether it's through my family, whether it's through uh, the efforts of us as a church body, whether it's through individuals that I'm networked with and God's kingdom work around the world. There's a lot of things I want to see happen, but I find myself not going to prayer first, but I find myself trying to fix it first or make it happen. And so God's asking me all over again in my life at this season, 
Harry, do you really need me to act? Or do you think, ha, 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 you got it? See, there's a sense of desperation that comes with it. I um, have taken these prayer walks for most of my life, especially when I'm able to get back to the farm. But if I'm not there, I'm doing prayer walks in some other places. And we never, as Zach shared a couple weeks ago, are far from the presence of Jesus. He is with us. And so our ability to commune with him and converse with him as surely as I'll converse with some of you after service today is as real and near and dear as it is with a human being, our communication with God. But there's something to me about being able to get away from some normal spaces and find some sanctuary, places set apart from God, where I'm able to hear from God, I'm able to lift my pleas and my requests to him. When I turn the corner of this lane out the road, just a country road, Wabash County, Indiana, they named the roads by miles there, 800 South. 800 South is our road. And this picture I just took a couple, three days ago. That is our farm. It's a big grain operation and helped build some of that metal you see there. And they operate a smooth running machine, challenging as it is, farm life is. You're really dependent on God for rains or no rains at certain particular times. But the country road that goes past the cornfields would be the place where God would speak into my life about him wanting to use my life. And the reason I'm here today is my calling wasn't like my sibling's calling, which is to be close to the farm and operate with it. My calling was to uh, start and lead churches and build churches, and that's what I've done with my life. When I get down to the end of this road, to the crossroads at 800 South, 700 East, I would oftentimes just sit down in the middle of that crossroads, and I would say, Lord God, you are the God of the north, the south, the east, and west. I'm now west of where that prayer walk is. And many times I would turn and I would face the direction of where the ministry was that I was carrying on and I would pray for that ministry. But as I was praying, I would have to ask myself, do I believe God hears? Do I believe God cares? Do I believe God's able to act? Do I need him to act? And I would cry out to the Lord what is often um, found in the Psalms. And you got to remember, if I started when I was just in my double digits early. There were a lot of prayer requests I would ask God. I would ask God for like, what do you want me to do with my life? God, who am I going to marry? God, how are you going to um, provide for me as I seek to serve you? Lord, what areas in my life 
are you not pleased with that you want to see corrected for me to give you more glory? A lot of prayer requests on my own behalf and then prayer requests for family, for friends, for ministries. A lot of prayer requests poured out on that road, looking to the stars many nights, or maybe a sunset, or maybe um, a storm that was off in the distance. When I went on the prayer walk this week, as I was taking that picture, I was reminded of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to many times a prayer that I would cry out like was in the Psalms. The psalmist in Psalm 102 says this. He says, we have it. Psalm 102, verse 1. New Living Translation. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Don't turn away from me in my time of distress. Bend down to listen and answer me quickly when I call to you. How many of you would say, I've been there with that psalm before. In a place of brokenness, you're pleading to God. Come near to me. I have got this prayer request. Don't turn away from me. I've got distress going on. Listen, answer me. I need an answer, and I need an answer quickly. There's that plea of desperation. And as I walked this last week, I was thinking to myself, God, you are so, so crazy good. Not that life has been perfect. There's always those challenges, but he works through those challenges. God has been faithful in the answering of prayers. Sometimes not quite as quickly as I would have hoped, but he's faithful. And his smile is upon my life. How many of you would say that's a word of testimony in your own life? If you pause long enough amidst everything that's going on around you to pull back, whether in you know, the beautiful mountains or whether along an ocean or whether a country road, if you pulled back long enough to slow down and really think through the history of your life and all the decisions you've had to make, all the pleas that you've cried out to God, all the distress that you've walked through, how many of you would be able to pull back and you would smile and you would see his smile and you would say, God, you've been crazy good to me. Do I have a witness? Do I have a witness? Now, if you're not giving that witness, that's all right. You just got to be real with where you're at. But I think many times I do not pause long enough to thank God for the answered prayer, to thank God for him moving his hand on my behalf, on the behalf of others. And there was just such richness. Richness this week. There's times on that country road that I was really bewildered, that I was hurt, that I longed for direction, that I felt lonely. And my pleas and my cries to the Lord, I didn't know if he would hear me. God, you must be there, but I don't know where. And he would bring me back time and again to a passage that I memorized when I was younger. And this passage comes from some very intimate words of Jesus. Jesus had some 
very intimate words he shared with his disciples right before he went to the cross. And if you read in, in John 14, really all the way through um, his prayer that he has in John 17, these are powerful words, powerful and uh, in, in how strikingly personal they are. And these are some of the words that would come to me as I'd walk and as I seek God afresh and anew. And I ask you, does Jesus walk with you that closely? He says this in John 15. I am the true vine and my father the vine dresser. Every branch, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they are gathered and they are burned. But, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Those long walks, those times of desperation, maybe you're in one this morning, you're in distress and you're crying out to God, hear my plea, answer me quickly, bend low, would you please listen, hello. The intimate words of Jesus on a personal level, he would come to you and he would simply say this, you abide in me and I will abide in you and we're going to go on this journey of life and you seek to bear fruit for my glory. You seek to bear fruit by staying connected to me. Don't disconnect, because when you disconnect, it's like a branch that dries up. They gather them, cast them away, and they're burned. I mean, walking down this corn, this uh, field with corn, you ever tall corn stalks? It's growing. It's not quite tasseled yet. It's getting there. It's, you know, summertime in the Midwest. If I knocked that piece of corn over, what would happen? It would dry up. It would die and would return to the earth. It's got to be connected to the roots. We as branches have to be connected to Jesus. And as we're connected to Jesus and we desire to bear fruit, he says, go at it. You ask. You ask in my name. And whatever you ask, whatever you ask, I will do. Now that brings us back to that um, very difficult and challenging thought that do I believe? Do I believe? Do I believe that he hears? Do I believe that he cares? Do I believe that he can act? And do I really need him to? As we abide in him, and that means cultivating a close relationship with him, Seeking his will, none of us in this room are perfect. We've probably fallen, we've messed up, we've sinned this week. God's grace covers, he abides with us. He says, come and seek me out and live for me. As we spend time abiding in him, he gives us that permission to walk forward and being able to lift our prayers to him and for him to meet the needs that are at hand. And when we pray, our prayers 
our prayers, Max Licato says, may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Our prayers do make a difference. Because our focus should not be upon us. Our focus needs to be on him and his ability to act. So as I abide in him and his words abide in me, I seek to bear fruit, then I should be able to come boldly with my ask and my prayers and believe that he hears. You know, we were um, on our way, actually, from northern Indiana to southern Indiana. Melissa's family's in southern Indiana, so it's like a three-hour drive. And uh, we got some news as we were on this journey about a particular situation. Somebody had texted her about something, and there was also another family matter that was extenuating that we weren't nearby. And I thought to myself, as we paused in the car driving to pray for this particular situation, aren't you glad that you don't have to be present in a particular locality in order for your prayers to be effective, to be heard by God? Some of us would like freak out if we didn't have our phones with us, right? You feel disconnected. You're unplugged, right? You are never unplugged from God. So even though the prayer request was some hundred miles away, and another prayer request that was over a thousand miles away, we could pray in our car in that moment with full confidence that God was present to act because it's a part of the supernatural realm. And you and I, when we pray, we should not be feeble like, oh, I really wish I was there to be able to pray over a person, right? Or to pray with them or to talk with them. Your prayers in the moment are as powerful and as effective as if you're actually there. Do you remember Jesus with the centurion that came up to him, the Roman centurion, and he says, hey, there's a sickness in the family, that kind of thing. And he says, you know, I, I don't want to bug you to have to go there, but I just believe by faith kind of idea. You just, you know, make that sick person well. And Jesus looked at him and said, your faith has made that person well. Jesus was not in the locality of the sick person to touch them, but his presence was there through his spirit to be able to abide. And I thought as we were praying for these situations, my mind like, that is just so cool and awesome. God, 100%, you're there with this person, what they're walking through in their duress right now and their challenges, and I pray that you would touch them. May your hand move to be active in their life. And you and I as believers in Christ, as we abide in him, we have that opportunity to pray and to ask whatever we wish, and it shall be done because he is wanting his will to be done. He is wanting his fruit to bear in that person's life. And so I pray with confidence and boldness, even though I'm thousands of miles away. That is just so cool. Sometimes I think, though, that we doubt. We doubt if we're not there, if we don't doubt and understand the situation. Scriptures say sometimes we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans which words cannot express. I've been there. Have you been there? God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And, and some say that that breaks into a prayer language, and that's all viable for some people and that kind of thing. But I'm like, I, 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 I just, God, 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 I don't know. I, 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 I. But he knows my heart, 
and I'm praying, and I'm praying specifically in my mind that, that God's will would be done. He's active, present, even though he's not there in locality. I am never unplugged because God is plugged in to every person that he's created, and he desires to see them work. And my prayer is not based upon me and my words and my ability to drone on and on. It's based upon his ability. Isaiah 64, 45 says this, For since the world began, no ear has heard, and no eye has seen a God like you, who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. What's the phrase there? He works for them that wait on him. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time through his Holy Spirit. He's uh, omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's all-loving. This is the God that you're praying to. And so you don't have to barter with him. You have to engage with him, and he chooses to let you engage with his world to see things happen and to see him at work. Scriptures say that we have not because we ask not, or we ask amiss sometimes. And that's true. A lot of times, I just fall in the category of I don't ask. I don't ask because I'm self-sufficient. I don't ask because, is that verse really true? That God really wants to work on our behalf. I become double-minded. And God's encouraging me and challenging me that I should, that I should be able to see things happen, not because of who I am, but because of who God is. Zach did such a great job running around the other day, I thought I'd invite him up today. He's going to do something with me, just like he put Randy on the spot a couple weeks ago, right? And if I had time, there's a lot of stories in the Old Testament I'd like us to go to of people who really believed that God could act on their behalf, and they prayed and they interceded. I'm mindful of Abraham and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember what Abraham did? He boldly asked God to save Sodom. And he said, hey, if I find 50 righteous people, will you not bring about your wrath. And God says, all right, 50. Then he's like, well, what if it was just 45? Just for five people you would destroy him because I couldn't find five righteous? He says, all right, 45. And then Abraham says, how about 40? All right, 40. Then he drops down to 30. Then he drops down to 20. Abraham is asking God to hold back his wrath upon the city. If I can find 20 righteous people... How about 10? Just 10, God, just 10. And probably Abraham's thinking in his mind, what? I uh, surely got enough family members that would be righteous. And 10 weren't found. But Abraham was bold. Abraham was bold in that asking. There was another man shortly after that that was pretty bold in his asking. And I'm going to put this in a a little bit of a dialogue that I came across. And so I have a seat, Zach. Really didn't rehearse this. 
definitely didn't memorize it. Do you know there were journalists in the Old Testament thousands thousands of years ago? There were. Uh, there was the Holy Land Press, HLP. <laughs> the Holy Land Press, and uh, there were uh, some people uh, that worked for the Holy Land Press that uh, sort of got some of the buzz of the stories that were going around, and uh, they would try to go and do some interviews. And so uh, 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 one of the journalists from the Holy Land Press uh, he got a hold of Moses, and so he sat down with Moses, and Moses, uh, he had this dialogue with him. Well, Moses, I want to ask you a, just a few questions, if you don't mind, if you have some time. Sure, sure. So, tell us about your conflict with the Egyptians. Oh, man, the Egyptians, yeah. Big people, strong fighters, mean as snakes. But you got away. Uh, not before they got washed away. You're talking about the Red Sea conflict, correct? Uh, you're right. That was sort of scary. Tell us, what happened? Well, the Red Sea was on one side, and the Egyptians were on the other side. So you attacked? Are you kidding? With a half million rock stackers? No way, man. My people were too afraid. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So you told everyone to retreat? Uh, where? Into the water? We didn't have a boat. We didn't have anywhere to go. What did your leaders recommend? Uh, I didn't ask him. There wasn't time. Well, then what did you do? Well, I told the people to stand still. I'm sorry, but you mean with an enemy coming, you told them not to move? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I told the people, stand still, and you will see God save you. Why would you want the people to stand still? Uh, to get out of God's way. If you don't know what to do, it's best just to sit tight till he does his thing. That's an odd strategy, don't you think? It is, if you are big enough for the battle. But when the battle is bigger than you and you want God to take over, it's all you can do. Okay, can we, can we talk about something else then? Sure, it's, it's your news organization. So, after your escape... Our deliverance... What's the difference? Well, there's a big difference. Uh, when you escape, you do it. When you are delivered, someone else does it, and you just follow Okay, soon after your deliverance, you battled with the Amo, Amala, let's see, I, I have uh, it The Amalekites. Here. Yeah, the Amalekites. Yeah, yeah the Amalekites. Um, big people, strong fighters, mean as snakes. But you won. Uh, God won. Okay, God won, but you did the work. You fought the battle, you were on the field. Uh, wrong. What? You weren't in the battle? Uh, not that one. While the army was fighting, I took my friends, Aaron and her, uh, to the top of a hill and, uh, that overlooked the valley, and we did our fighting up there. With each other? With the darkness? You crazy? With swords? No, no, no. In prayer. I just lifted my hands to God like... I did at the Red Sea, only this time I uh, had forgotten my rod. 
Uh, when I lifted my hands, we would win. And when I lowered my hands, uh, we would lose. So I got my friends to hold my arms until the Amalekites were history and we won. All right, hold on a second. You think that standing on a hill with your hands in the air made a difference? You don't see any Amalekites, do you? Don't you think it's strange that the general of an army stays on the mountain while the soldiers fight in the valley? If the battle had been in the valley, I would have gone. But that's not where the battle was being fought. Odd, this strategy of yours. You mean if your father was bigger than the fellow beating you up, you wouldn't call for his name? What? If some guy has you on the ground pounding on you, and your father is within earshot and tells you to call him anytime you need help, what would you do? Well, I'd call my father. Of course you would. That's all I do. When the battle is too great, I ask God to take over. I get the father to fight for me. And he comes. Seen any Jews building pyramids recently? All right. Let me see if I've got this straight. Once you defeat the enemy by standing still, and another time you win a battle by holding your hands up, where did you pick all of this up? Well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. All right. Try me. Well... You see, there was this bush on fire for another day. All right, maybe, day. maybe you're right. We'll save that for another day. Thanks. So Moses, just like Abraham, dared to trust in the Almighty God who bends low in your distress to meet your needs. The Almighty God, who through the person and spirit of Jesus Christ, as you abide in him, says, ask whatever you need and it shall be done for you. Moses had some powerful moving events of God showing up. We read those stories and we think to ourselves, oh, that's nice. But you know what? God is the same God in your life as he was the God in Abraham and Moses' life. There was Hezekiah, remember him? He was told he was going to die, and he prayed that God would give him more years. And so Isaiah went to him in Isaiah 38 and said, God says, you're good. you got a few more years to live. All throughout the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, stories all through the scriptures of God acting, his hand moving on the behalf of his people who were seeking him, not because of who they were, but because of who he is. We have shrunk God to act on our behalf, not for self-centered gain, but for his glory, and we need to pray bold prayers. Is your life one of praying in boldness or in weakness. When you're asked, will you pray for me? Do you pray, Lord, help them out, man. They've got a ways to go. Or do you say, Lord, you bring them to a place of knowing you better. You bring them into a place of healing, to strength. We have to live our lives 
according to not who we are, but according to who God is and how he has made us to be in communion with him for his activity here on earth. And on those country roads this last week, I rejoiced because God has been faithful ever still. What prayer request do you have this morning? Are you trusting God for it? Or are you trying to take care of it yourself? Oh, you may mention it to him in prayer. You may even have some other people praying for you. But do you have that faith like Moses had? I took the battle. I took the fight to where the battle was. The battle wasn't in the valley. The battle was in the spiritual realm on the hill. Some of you this morning desperately need to know where your battle is. It's not in the mechanics or the circumstances of your life. It's something behind that. And you need to pray in the spirit for God's hand to move and act on your behalf for his glory. I want to invite the team to come back up. They're going to repeat a song that they closed with. And that song has to do with our heart's plea. Our heart desire to be able to reach out to God. Every week over here to the side we have opportunity for you to pray with someone. Maybe your prayer is weak. Maybe you need someone to help intercede on your behalf. We'd love to be able to pray for you. On the back of your connect cards is a place to be able to, to just mark what that prayer need might be as well. Have people pray for you. But I'm more interested here this morning in us taking this closing song, grabbing a hold of that prayer request that's at the forefront of your mind and seeing if, just seeing if, God would refresh your heart in pleading to him to work on your behalf. There's a lot for us to do in our individual lives, in our families, in our careers that God's called us to, in our church, in this world. Sometimes I almost feel like Abraham pleading God save Sodom and Gomorrah with some of the situations you see at hand. But there are God's righteous people. Not because we're righteous, but because he is the righteous one and he dwells within us as we abide in him and we can ask. So as we sing through this closing song again, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hearts in praise, but lift up your call to the Lord. Lord, I need you. I need you. And take that prayer request and put it right. I need you here with this circumstance, with this difficulty, with this challenge, with this person, with this opportunity, I need you to act because he's not distant. He's present and he wants to act in your life here this morning. And as they close in this song, the ushers are also going to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and your connect cards. But I want you to spend these moments, and it may not be singing, it may be with your head bowed. Do you need the Lord to act? Do you believe he hears? Do you believe he cares? 